Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, good to, good to be here with you. It's just a real pleasure uh, to be with you this morning. Like Pastor Sunder said, I'm one of the young uh, guys who gets to learn from his wisdom. Uh, and it's always, uh, it's always nice when you have someone who's willing to share of the mistakes they've made to allow you to learn and be part of that. Uh, not that he makes many of them. Uh, a, a, few, a few months ago, I was in town and uh, I emailed Pastor Sunder and I said, you know, can we have dinner? I'm going to be there. I'm in Toronto for some school stuff. And he said, sure. And so we, uh, we went to dinner. Uh, we were deciding between Italian and Indian food, and it's his turf, so he won. So uh, we, uh, we went to a small uh, place to eat, and we were eating. And I asked uh, Pastor Shinder, I said, is this spicy, what we're going to eat? And he said, no, it's not spicy at all. And so I said, okay. So I started eating, and as I'm eating, I realized it's just so spicy. And I'm thinking, Pastor Sunder's a liar. So... So I thought, when he asks me to speak here, I'm going to talk about lying. And now you should never lie to your friends. But uh, I'm not talking about lying today, but maybe next time. Next time we'll deal with lying. But I'm actually going to be continuing in your Isaiah kind of series that you've been in. I'm going to kind of track along in a chapter in Isaiah that Sunder's probably been preparing you for a while. And, and I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to begin by thinking about this question. If you went home today after church and your house was gone, what would you do? If everything you found like, was safe and everything, you know, your house was on fire, everything is just gone, what would you do? Who would you call? What would you tell your kids? All your security, everything that you, know, you bank on being there, just gone. What do you do? It's important to get a sense of how we would feel in these moments because that's what the people in Isaiah are feeling. The people in Isaiah are feeling that all of their security and their safety and the certainty of life has kind of been ripped away and they're exiles. In a sense, they're waiting for God to deliver them and to walk with them, to help them to know what the next steps are. And it's easy for us to miss this heaviness emotionally of what the people are feeling in this book, right? Sometimes the Bible for us is just a book. We open it, we read it, great, I know that story, close the book, put it away. And we fail to understand what the people are really dealing with and what they're really going through. And when Pastor Sunder told me about uh, what you're doing in the book of Isaiah and asked me if I'd come and share, and we talked about whether I would continue in, in Isaiah or, or share something else, I thought, you know what, I want to continue along in the book of Isaiah. And so I started to read through the book myself. You know, I said, I'm going to go through the book of Isaiah and start to read it and get it right in my bones and really feel the book. And as I was doing that, I found it so difficult to track along and actually read every chapter. I don't know if this happens to you. You're like really committed. You're like, I'm going to do this. And then you start reading and like chapter 15, I started to forget what was chapter 14 and I'll read the Psalms like those. I need to read the Psalms back. And I couldn't really, I found myself struggling with committing to reading through the book really diligently. And maybe you, you found that as you've been trying to really learn the book and study it. It's such an important book in the Bible. And as I was going through my mind and as I was wrestling with this, you know, it dawned on me that Jesus read Isaiah. Jesus would have read the book of Isaiah. Not only did he read Isaiah. But when he comes on the scene and begins his ministry, the first prophet he would quote and say, everything that I'm going to do is fulfilled in the prophets, is the prophet Isaiah. And you know, he has this famous statement that he uses in Luke and and Isaiah 61 says this, and Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? Has anointed me to, to share what God is about to do. And he says this, many of you know this passage. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as a church, you're kind of experiencing the favor of God. You know, you're looking at 50 years of God's favor. Maybe some of you are here and you're feeling that you're brokenhearted. You want to believe in God's favor. You want to believe that you're going to get through a season without a job. But you're wondering when that's going to come. 
Jesus says that everything he's come to do, the spirit that he leaves for us in this life, will help us to remember that this is available to each of us. In moments of having a broken heart, a feeling that we're still in bondage to certain habits or sins that have gripped our minds and our hearts. Jesus says, I can break those. And the testimony of my brother David, I think, of how you see God saying, I can break a heart, even the hardest heart I can break, comes in Isaiah. Jesus goes to Isaiah for this. And he says, I was doing this to my people back then, and I'm still doing that to my people now. And that's what he does, and that's what he offers us. And if you're here this morning, I hope that you really hear that and understand that. You know, the book of Isaiah begins with talking about an important theme that I want to unpack this morning, which is the theme of servanthood. And uh, there's an important servant in the book of Isaiah, and his name is Uzziah. And at the beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah 6, chapter 6, verse 1, this is what it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The kings in the Old Testament were the servants of God. They were supposed to be the servants of God. Some of them were and some of them weren't. And Uzziah is one of those special kings who lived his life trying to serve God. And if, if you're not familiar with who he is or the story, and you, you want to read this later, I encourage you to do this. Second Chronicles chapter 26. Second Chronicles 26 will give you the story of King Uzziah. And what it says in 2 Chronicles 26, it gives you a picture of the kind of king that he was, how he wanted God to be glorified and to be honored, and he did what God wanted him to do, and the people loved him. And the Bible says that when he was about 16 or 17 years old is when he became king. How many of you know 16 or 17 years old? Old kids, right? Maybe your kids. Could your kids ever be king? Your kids can't even clean their room. Right? Like I, and the Bible says that Uzziah would be the king. He would become king. And he would really honor God and be the king that God's calling him to be. Until one moment that happened in his life where he decided that he was going to do things his own way. And this is what it says in Second Chronicles. Really powerful reminder. After Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Uzziah had been with God and he had seen God's faithfulness in his life and everything he had accomplished was because God was behind him and leading him and at one point he realized man look at me look at what I've done and in a moment of pride something started to happen to him and the Bible tells us if you, if you read the Chronicles passage it says that Uzziah instead of waiting for the priests to do the lighting in the altar which were the only people who could do this in the Old Testament Uzziah thought well the priests are not doing it in the timing that I want them to do it and I need this done So he decided that he was going to light the altar. He was going to light the incense. And in the story, in the scriptures, you have these priests. It says about eight priests are there. And they're telling Uzziah something that he should know. That he is not allowed to be doing this. It is the work of the priests to light the altar. And Uzziah looks at them and in a sense says, you know what, I can do this too. I mean, I can do... And as he starts to light this, while the priests are looking at him, it says as he goes to light the altar, his arm gets leprosy. As a reminder that God would never have anyone who's supposed to be his servant think that he can accomplish things on his own. And Uzziah's pride had got the best of him. He thought the rules just didn't apply to him anymore. You know people like that? Like, man, the rules apply to my wife. Like, I want my wife to be a good Christian woman. I want the people in my church to be good Christians. I want the people I work with, you know, to be good people. But me, I mean, I, they don't all apply to me. Maybe you've been coming to church a long time and you know all the rules, but do they really apply to you? We know all these other people many times in our lives who are, we wish they were really serious about their faith and follow the principles of God. But really sometimes we are those people. 
get to the place where we forget that God says, follow my principles and never let pride get into your heart. Where you think this is about you. Where you think, you know, that that the center of everything is you. And I, I keep thinking about, you know, David's testimony where he used that language. He said, you know, I thought everything was about me. I didn't care who I sold drugs to. It was about me serving myself. And the servant of God, Uzziah, would fail to understand that he was to serve God and God wasn't there to serve him. So easy, right? We think that God exists to serve us. I mean, we live in a culture that perpetuates this kind of thinking. Everywhere you go, everyone will tell you. Everything exists for who? For you iTunes, iPod, iPad, I, 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 it's I, it's about you. Everything. I mean, it's not even a secret. They tell you this. You buy the product. It's right there. And then they'll engrave your name on it if you want. Right? Eugene Peterson has a commentary on this passage. what he says. Uzziah's power went to his head. And one day he arrogantly walked into the temple and took it all over for his own purposes. He decided to take charge of his own spirituality, manage his own religion, and put God to his own uses. That's what he did. He thought that God exists to serve him. This happens to all of us. It happens to each one of us when we forget that servanthood, and many times even the language of servanthood has been hijacked by our culture. I mean, servant leadership, servant this. I mean, how did a a term like this become used? Because, I mean, you can sell it. It works. We buy the books. But the Bible forces us to think of servanthood in a biblical way. And may we never forget that we exist, I'm going to talk about this, to serve God. God does not exist to serve us. Now don't get me wrong. The scriptures are clear that we should come to God with our requests and with our prayers and with petitions. We do that. But always surrender to the fact that He's God and we exist for His will and His purpose. That should be the posture of our heart, even when we bring our requests to Him. right? And we need to practice this because it doesn't happen easily. A few years ago... I, I looked at this journal that I had, uh, similar to Sean, I had this journal that I would write some prayers in. And I, I didn't do it regularly uh, enough, but you know, I wanted to practice the discipline of kind of writing down some prayers. And, and I picked up one of the journal uh, a while back, and I started to look at these prayers, and I was shocked to find that every prayer that I had written down was about me. Every prayer was about like God doing something for me. I actually just prayed when I wanted something. I just went to God to pray because I wanted something from Him and I needed Him to do something. And if He didn't, then, you know, my, I was thinking about not going to church. God, I don't know, the offering this week, that better come through. You know, it's almost like you, you kind of go through like, God is like Santa. Like you have kind of this transaction with Him. Okay, God, you ready for this? I'm going to do this, then you're going to do this, right? And we lose the ability to have this deep relationship. It's like, God, I'm your servant. And I exist for you. And I saw this and I was reading through some of this. I'm like, how did this happen to me? How did I forget that? You know, prayer and my relationship with God is so much rooted about how I can serve Him. And it dawned on me that day when I was looking through my journal and thinking about this. That one of the ways we protect ourselves from this is by praying the Lord's Prayer. By using the Lord's Prayer as a guide to our prayers. Because think about the Lord's Prayer. It has very little about us. It starts talking about God. Then in the middle, there's a little section about God just giving us bare essentials, food, and, right? and then it's about God again. That's a good structure for prayer. It's a great structure for prayer. It's about God. He loves me. We'll provide. It's about God. The end. And you know, I thought, I need to practice this more. I need to learn and be careful that my prayers don't become about me. That I think that God is there for me, for me to use Him. And Uzziah, that's what happened to him. That's what had happened in his heart. And in his mind. And the ramifications were huge for the people. 
Imagine having a king and a ruler who now has leprosy. And the image of what this meant for all the people who were looking, right? All the onlookers, all the people who, who saw this. And now we're like, well, the king of Israel has leprosy? Wow. I mean, God's favor probably is not on them anymore. Like the ramifications are just huge. Someone who thought that God existed for them. Someone who thought that the rules just didn't apply to them anymore. And the people in Isaiah are living through exile. They're living through this problem of servanthood. And they're dealing with what it's going to mean for them now to trust God as God slowly moves them through this period of exile. And again, he promises to be with them, right? To walk with them. He promised them that the future will be different if they understand and they're attentive to the kinds of things they've done that have not honored God. And he begins to do that. And last week, Pastor Sunder kind of shared briefly, I have the privilege of listening to the message as well, uh, of just the trajectory that you're on in the next chapters, like 40 and on. It's kind of the future focus of Isaiah, right? Like the people have been in exiles and soon they're going to be thinking, God's like, you know, I want you to start to look into the future that now I'm moving you past this season. And I want to look specifically at Isaiah 41. Because Isaiah 41 is this, is this moment where God's trying to reorient his people to this idea of servanthood. And the reason he does this is because he's going to set up talking about the suffering servant, the greatest servant ever, Jesus. Right? Like Isaiah's really strategic about how he sets this up in the book. And in Isaiah 41, when God's talking to his people, he reminds them again that they're his servants. And this is what Isaiah says. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth. From its furthest corners I called you, and I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. You are my servants. You exist to serve me. That's why you exist. And as we do this, any of us who've experienced serving God and really being passionate about serving God and giving of ourselves for God have experienced the the blessing of being God's servants. How he provides and allows us to experience his, his purpose and his blessing. And we get to see what God does when we just surrender ourselves to him if someone followed you around this past week would they say this person's a servant this person's generous with their time is attentive to how he should care or she should care for people is trying to think of how best to live their life to honor God would that would people say that about you would your kids say that about you my mom and dad they're just servants like I mean I could never be like them would they say that about you Or would they say, my mom and dad, they're crazy. (laughs) It's hard work. It's hard to do this. But you know, when we serve, people notice something. When we act as servants of God, people are attentive and they're like, there's something about this person. You know why? Because our culture is so the opposite of this. Our culture is so about greed and people having their own way and people being selfish that we, like Uzziah, are, are prone to be people who want us to be served. Serve ourselves and find ways to serve ourselves. Rather than saying, God, I want to be your servant. And I want to live in such a way where I'm honoring you with my life. So help me to do this. Help me never to forget what you were telling the people in Isaiah. Right? That we, we, we exist to serve him. You know, last week as, as Pastor Sundar was, was sharing in his message, he had this great uh, thing that he mentioned, which is important, is that Isaiah now is going to weave the theme of creation in this next section of the book. He's going he's gonna, to, basically, it's like the people find themselves in a season where they're without form. They're without shape. They're shapeless. They're like, I think you used the word like a, kind of a blob of whatever. 
Right? And the theme that Isaiah is going to bring back is like the creation theme, which is where God forms his people, is the same language that Isaiah is going to use from, from Genesis, that God is forming them again. He's reforming them and reminding them. And, and later on in Isaiah, this is what Isaiah says, Remember these things, O Jacob, O Israel, for you are my servants and I formed you to be my servant. Right? The creation theme is going to come up right here. It's like, as I form you again, I'm going to remind you that you know what it's like when my servants think that I exist for them. Go back and read Uzziah's story. Right? You know the king Uzziah, what happened with that. So I'm going to remind you again, as we begin this, that you exist to serve me. You are my servants. And I formed you with that in mind. Meaning that we find fulfillment and purpose and meaning when we act as his servants. When we think of how to serve him. Rather than our own selfish needs. St. Augustine, he's the great church father, has this great saying. He says, you know, our hearts are restless until we find what? Our rest in him. Until we really become his servants. Where we rest our identity, our purpose, our meaning is like in who God is. And so many people, I meet them time and time again. I mean, as a pastor, I get the privilege of walking with people through good times and dark times. And I meet with so many people, so many couples, especially at this time when I'm doing lots of weddings and pre-marriage counseling and all that fun stuff. Just people I meet who are just struggling with relationships and they're dying to find someone to be with and their whole identity is rigged up in some relationship they're hoping for. They struggle with just understanding this theme that you are a servant of God first and foremost. Your identity needs to come from there because if it doesn't, you will spend your whole life looking for someone else to fill this void. To serve and to seek His will and to seek His purpose and to live that way all the time. And as we do this, right? Scripture's clear, the Gospels are clear, right? If we seek His kingdom first, everything else will be taken care of. Everything else will be taken care of. That's what happens. And Isaiah's trying to help the people understand this in this book. And what he does next in, in chapter 41 is he reminds the people of the temptation to not serve God. And he says, if you remember, the temptation that you've always had is to go back to serve idols. And this theme of idols is important, and I know that Pastor Sunday is going to unpack this more as you go on in, in the series. But idolatry was really how the people had gotten trapped in the temptation of serving other gods. You know, God didn't fulfill his promises in the timing that we wanted. So we went to plan B, my plan. <laughs> Right? And idolatry is the theme. And the language of idolatry in Scripture is the language of forming. Right? You see how Isaiah is unpacking these themes are going to come up time. The forming, God forms his people. Right? And the people of God, if they're not obedient, what do they do? They form idols. They make idols. And God says those idols, they have ears and they cannot hear and they have eyes and they cannot see. And those of you who make them will do what? Will become like them. Those of you who make idols and serve idols, you will become like the idols you made. You will have eyes and not be able to see God at work. You will have ears and not be able to hear God speak. The temptation of idolatry. And Isaiah is going to set this all up and he's going to talk about this. And then at one point in the book, he kind of gets sarcastic with the people. And he makes fun of the idols. He says, you remember you, you worship those idols? So just in case you think you should go back to those idols as we move through this season. Just in case you're tempted to go back and worship idols rather than to worship me. Remember, you're my servants. Right? Let's, let's talk about those idols. Let's think about them. That's what he says. Tell us, you idols, what is going to happen? Like, what do you know? Let's, go, let's talk to your idols. Tell us what the former things were so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us, idols, the things to come. Tell us what the future holds so we may know that you are gods. Isaiah's like, well, you, ha- you like those idols, right? Ask them what's going to happen next. Do-do-do. Yeah, what, what did they say? Oh, nothing. Okay, that's good. 
Why don't you guys ask them where you're going to be next year? Ask them, okay, tell me what they say. Like Isaiah is like playing kind of this game. It's like they don't know anything. God is the one who's been watching you all along. And he's been taking care of you. So the temptation will be to go back to those idols. These idols. These idols that make all these promises and never deliver. And there's only one like our God. Only one who delivers. Only one who's really attentive and knows where his people are going. And provides all the resources that they need to be his people. But the temptation for each of us is idolatry. Now, we don't have idols like the people did in in Isaiah, right? Like, none of us are going home tonight and getting some clay and doing our little idol thing. And if you do that, that's kind of sketchy, okay? (laughs) Right? Like, we just, we we don't do that. If you don't, that'd be like, that's weird. Stop doing that. (laughs) Right? We we have different idols. Different idols. And and sometimes our idols are things that we call nice things. Like, for example, I meet so many people, and you know what their idols are? They're kids. They exist and they live their minds just about their kids, their best school, best soccer team. My kids are going to be genius and, and that's all they think about. I'm thinking, you think of your kids more than you think about God. Like, they're, they're your idols. Even good things can become idols. And those are the worst kinds, right? Because we kind of, it's easy to justify that stuff. I mean, God wants me to love my kids. Not if you love them more than you love Him. Jesus had some powerful words about this. If you don't hate your mother and your father, your family... Oh, your mother's here, Jesus. Well, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Some powerful language of being careful. If anything has its place above God, it's an idol. Anything. It can be the nicest thing ever. Idolatry is there all the time. As I was preparing, I was saying this last night, that I, I really wanted to help us understand the idolatry in our culture and how different it looks like than idolatry in the Old Testament, but it's there. And, and I was reading some stuff online, and I came up last week, just no word of a lie, last week there was this article that came out, Fast Company Magazine. It's kind of a leadership culture magazine. And this was the title of the article in the magazine, How Apple and Gucci Tickle Your God Spot. And I was like, this is it? I'm like, this is exactly, and I read the article and I'm like, this is exactly what idolatry looks like in our culture. It's a type of way that we look for things or certain brands or an image or how we feel people are going to look at us when we own certain things, whether it's a car or a house or a position at work. And the author says this actually tickles what, what he calls is the God spot. Th- these brands have a messianic type of aura about them, that they promise things that only God can promise mystery and purpose and meaning and we believe it we believe it now I'm not saying that we shouldn't buy anything I'm not saying that we should never go and buy a computer right saying but there's always a danger that these things become idols they become things that we find meaning and value and our identity is connected to these things you see my new computer you see my new car you see our value and how people think about us is found through these things that we purchase sometimes. And maybe for you it's not material things. Maybe it's something else. Maybe your idol is food. You go to food to help you deal with your problems. Maybe it's exercise. You're overwhelmed, i got to get to the gym. That's going to help me. That's gonna... Whatever it is, Isaiah says, idolatry and the servants of God, never going to work, gang. Never. So what are your idols? Think about it. What things in the week you know, cause you to worry and be overwhelmed and keep you up? And you're like, I think about this more than I think about God and loving Him in my prayer time and spending time with Him. What are those things? They're different for each of us. I have my own. Trust me. 
They're always there. They're always lurking. Uh, about a, probably two, three days ago, uh, I started reading this book that a friend had in, in our office. And I don't know if any of you have heard of a guy called Seth Godin. And um, I'll put it up there so you can see it. And uh, it, it, this guy's not a Christian writer or anything like that. But he writes about marketing and the power of our culture to kind of influence our thinking around idolatry, around products. And he had, the thesis of this book kind of caught me off guard. And there's a story in here that I'm going to read for you. And my wife and I were talking about it yesterday, and she was like, it's so true. Like, and, and his thesis is basically this, that marketers in our culture, people who are trying to sell us products and get these images in our minds all the time, tell us stories, the greatest companies, the greatest brands, tell us these stories that we can believe. And then we tell that story to ourselves, and we start to lie to ourselves so that we feel, you know, if you buy that minivan, your kids will never fight. You're like, I need a minivan. That's what I need. Right? So you see the commercial, like the minivan, and it has a table, and the kids are reading and coloring. You're like, if I had that, my kids would be like Jesus. So, right? so they tell you the story, and then you pick up the story, and you lie to yourself for the rest of the story. Like, yeah, i got to tell you. <laughs> right? So there's all of these things that our culture, marketing companies will tell you a story. They always tell you a story. And after they tell you enough of the story, they'll stop so you can tell yourself the rest of the story. And basically what the argument is that all marketers make us liars. They make us liars to ourselves. We have to lie to ourselves in order to buy a product. We get to the point where we lie and say, I could be like this person. I could have this. If I buy an iPad, I could do this. I could learn to play piano if I had an iPad. No, you could not. Never. It's a lie. Okay? And, and at one point in the book, he has the story of a young girl named Stephanie. And I read this and I thought, you know, I think this could really help us understand how idolatry grips our hearts and our minds. I'm going to read you this little section in the book. That's what he says. We lie to ourselves about what we're about to buy. Consumers covet things that they believe will save them, which only God can do, or make them prettier or richer. Right? He says next, Stephanie was thinking, about an hour ago, I watched the story transform the face of Stephanie, a physical therapist who should know better. Stephanie was about to buy a pair of limited edition sneakers from Puma, $125 for a pair, about what she earns after tax after a long day of hard work. Was Stephanie thinking about the support or the sole material or the durability of the shoes? Of course not. She was imagining how she'd look when she put them on. She was visualizing her dramatically improved life once other people saw how cool she was in those shoes. Idolatry. Right? We all do it. All of us. We see something and we're like, if only I had that. I wonder what people would say about me. Wouldn't that be amazing? And then I can post it on Facebook. Take it up a notch. Twitter that. You know? It's, it's the world we live in. It's not going away. Unless our hearts are anchored in the truth that we are servants of who? God. We were formed to be servants of God. This will not change. It's going back to the scriptures, going back to trusting reading, prayer, these disciplines, these habits keep us from the temptation of going back to the idols. And Isaiah will do this. He will remind the people of this. And then he'll start to set it up where he's going to say, and if you ever forget what the great servant looks like, you're about to see him and his name is Jesus. 
And in Isaiah, you know, as he goes through the section in 42, he's, Isaiah uses the section, and Jesus will, will be kind of the reference point for these passages, right? He is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. I am the Lord, he says this verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not yield my glory to any other or my praise to idols. I will not have any of that. And if you think you can follow me and still have idols, we're going to have a big problem. God says to Isaiah, to the people. Right? And he says this to us. There are ramifications to thinking that we can worship the things of this world and serve the things of this world and then come here somehow on a few days a week and then be rah-rah, praise God. It's just not going to happen. It's not. God says it's unacceptable. Why? Because our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds become like those idols. Not able to see or hear or even sense God's presence. Because we, co- we become like those things, right? A few years ago, probably about a year ago now, my son, I'm just going to close with the story about my, my boys here. I'll give you a, a snippet of the, the little guys. Our, our oldest boy there is Josiah and the other munchkin is Luca. And we have another one on the way. So our house says, I'm going to get that minivan soon. <laughs> going to fix everything. going to fix everything in our house. Uh, and so our, our oldest boy, Josiah, was playing this game and he was, in our, in our house, we have steps that go up to the bedrooms and he would go like up one step and he would do this big jump and he'd be like, Dad, look at this jump. I'm like, that's really, really cool. And then the next day he would go up two steps and then he would do this big jump. And one day, I come into, you know, I'm sitting in the living room area and I could see the steps and he's up like seven steps high. And he's dead, look, Dad, it's going to be the biggest jump you've ever seen. And I'm like, Josiah, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you think is going to happen if you jump from up there all the way down the steps? I'm like, what if you smash into the wall? He goes, Daddy, you don't have to worry. God is going to protect me. I'm like, no, he won't. (laughs) And at a moment where I'm like, how do I teach my son the ramifications of doing something dumb? How do I do this? It's so hard to understand that there's ramifications to doing certain things even when we think it's the coolest thing ever. Like, look, it's going to be great. It's not going to be great at all. When to be in the hospital is going to be great. Right? And that's what Isaiah is trying to help people understand. There's been ramifications to how you've lived, my people, God says. And Isaiah is helping you understand that. And you can look at the testimonies of people come before. That if you think you can keep living this way and serving idols and thinking you can worship me and serve me, it's just not going to work because you weren't created for this. You were formed to be my servants. And if you do that, and you trust me with that, you won't need any of these idols. All the promises and the lies of idolatry are not what you want. Trust me, God says. Isaiah's like, where are the idols now? Are they with you in those moments of grief? Are they there when you need God to really restore a situation? They're not there. It's the Spirit of God that does those things. God says, you are my servants. Never believe otherwise. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would remember that. That this week as you go back home and you notice certain things that seem to lure you away and you're like, I think this might be an idol. That you would catch yourself. Say, God, I'm your servant. So give me the right perspective about these things. The right perspective about my work. About my kids. About school. About relationships. All important things. Give me the right perspective. And that happens and is formed through our prayers. It's formed as God shapes our mind and our heart. And we listen and are attentive to His will for our lives. That's my prayer for you. Let's close in prayer this morning. Jesus, we thank You for modeling for us 
the greatest sign of servanthood on that cross. For coming and surrendering yourself to the Father's will. For us, the greatest image of someone who's not selfish. Help us to remember that pride destroys and idolatry is something that will destroy our lives, not only our, our own lives, but the lives of our families if we trust in them rather than in you. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, Father, that they would never forget that they are your servants and that as they surrender themselves to you, they will be able to see the work that you use them for so that you would be glorified. And we ask you this this morning in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, uh, when we were singing that song, it's one of my favorites. You might have noticed at the bottom, it was written in 1988. The thought came to my mind, was there anything that was made in 1988 that is an idol today? Nobody cares. But what God creates has life and has power. So that's what I want to bless you with. Isaiah 40 to 55 is about the creator God. May, may you have a hunger for what the Spirit creates out of chaos in your life. Because that will never lose its power, decade after decade after decade. That's the one blessing I want to give you. The second blessing I want to give you is ties Uzziah with something that happened in Dominic's life. You remember his problem was he couldn't wait. He wanted to get on with it. Impatience was the problem. So much of our temptation to, uh, to give in to the idols is because we cannot wait. For whatever it is. One more month, one more year, one more decade. An interesting thing aside, which I didn't know. When I was away on sabbatical in 2009, apparently Dominic sent an email to this church saying, can I get in touch with Pastor Sundar? I never got the email. A year later when I came back, I got, I wrote to him. I said, hey, I'm joining, uh, forming this group, can you come? You know, Just a simple little thing, but it struck me again. When God wants to do what he wants to do in your life, he's able to do it easily. He can get past. People who forget emails that go past, don't have to be anxious. And so that's the second thing I want to bless you with. I want to bless, bless you with the long-suffering and the patience of Christ so that you will not short-circuit God's perfect, excellent, and timely work in your life. Go in Jesus' name. Amen. And greet our brother. He'll be out there in the lobby.